Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This crowd rises to its feet. The Carl slammed it home. Garland left wing. Three ball. Perfect. Garland in front of the lane. Locked. The Mobley pow. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Pow with the left hand and a foul. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Chase Down is presented by Fubo TV. Watch over 100 channels of live sports and TV for half the cost of cable. There's no contract and no commitment. Try for free at FuboTV.com. The Cleveland Cavaliers completed our hopes and our objectives for this Miami two-game series with a split of the two games, but it felt just a little disappointing as they had a legitimate chance to win that second game. Overall, still pretty happy with this stretch. And joining me today with Carter Rodriguez still out is Evan Damerell of Locked on Cavs as well as Right Down Euclid. Evan, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me back. How are you? I'm I'm doing not too bad, man. I'm I'm a little stressed. Uh, just like with this crossover, we are down two of our core four. The Cavs are down two of their core four right now. Uh, with Darius Garland uh, missing the second game against Miami with a quad contusion, and then Jared Allen uh, suffering from a swipe to the eye from Bam Adebayo. Both injuries Ooh. inflicted by Bam Adebayo. So I don't know if the Raptors are going to retire his jersey or whatever, but he was definitely <laughs> he was definitely channeling his inner Toronto Raptors. Um, what did you make uh, of the Cavs' loss uh, against Miami? That it it was a, a tough, hard fought game. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought the Cavs played really good defense in that one, but definitely felt like that one kind of slipped out of their fingers. I think slipped out of their fingers is a good way to put it, especially in the fourth quarter, which is not a recurring issue, but it's something that flares up at times for the Cavs this season. But at least just looking at this game as a whole, like, yeah, there's no Darius Garland. So you're automatically assuming Donovan Mitchell's going to step up for the plate. And he, he more than did that. He had 40 points. He hit eight three pointers. And it's just, I think it's just the issue is the Cavs were kind of needing somebody else to emerge, especially after Jared Allen went down. And also Allen was just having a rough game in general against Miami offensively. Like you had, you had Mobley holding down the fort defensively and giving you some contributions offensively. You have Karis LeVert thriving the fact, not thriving, but doing more now that they're asking more to do with him. Guard responsibility wise, ditto for Ricky Rubio and Donovan Mitchell is just doing Donovan Mitchell things. It's just the Cavs are just kind of missing that last little piece to push them over the edge. And as we were talking about before the show even started, it it turned into a bit of a rock fight down the stretch. And this is a very elite defensive Miami team, and they did elite offensive di- defensive Miami team things. So yeah. that's all I can really say. Like it's it's encouraging that the Cavs are able to go one and one on this trip. We were talking about it on Locked On Cavs, and I said if they go three and one on this trip, like that's a huge win in of itself, assuming they lose one in Miami. But Historically speaking, this is a place Cleveland just struggles to play in. I think most teams struggle to come and play in Miami, especially on like two, three games and uh, two games and three nights in this situation like this. So you have to be encouraged with the results. But yeah, it's a little bit frustrating just to watch it slip through your fingers like that when you put it together, all that work, especially in the first half. Yeah, and I think it's easy to also just kind of default to, oh, man, we would have won this if we had Darius or if Jarrett was able to finish the game and and if both were there. I think if this was a playoff series against the Miami Heat, this is kind of what you're hoping for, right? That you'd go Mm -hmm. into Miami, you'd steal one of those two games, and you're just taking care of business on home court. Um, But Miami is an elite defensive team, and I I think you saw that uh, in both of these games. They can turn it up, and... Miami's job defensively got a whole lot easier when 
uh, out of the core four, you're now only dealing with one guard and one big man, mm-hmm. right? With, with those two injuries. And um, I thought both teams actually played really good defense in the fourth quarter. The big difference was Miami hit really tough contested shots. And I was just impressed with the shot making of Jimmy Butler, who we know can do that. I think that's oh, yeah. part of why people fear playing the Miami Heat in a series, myself included. And Tyler Hero as well hit some really, really tough threes, including uh, a big five-point swing where uh, Okoro got a, a no call uh, on a dunk attempt. Hero hits a, a contested three in transition. But I this was kind of just a, a tip of the cap game for me because mm-hmm. I, I think Miami and, and Cleveland both played hard-fought games and, and Miami just hit uh, the, the tougher shots with, with no team really giving up easy opportunities in the fourth quarter. I think you alluding to it being a playoff-like game is a good way to put it. I think all the games that Cleveland and Miami have played this year have been playoff-like and similar approaches. It's just it's tough when you have two teams that are both fundamentally sound defensively two of the top defensive teams in the league two defensive tacticians facing each other in JV Bickerstaff and Eric Spolstra from both sides of the court. And like you said, it's just a tip of the cat moment with a couple momentum swings. So there's that Harrow shot and Harrow actually going three of three from three point range in the fourth quarter, even hmm. Max Struess hitting two somewhat pretty big three pointers, at least just kind of like accentuate this win for Miami and maybe widen the gap a little bit. But like you said, like the, the Cavs played very good defense in this game. And for the better part, they kept Miami in check star wise. Like Jimmy Butler, of course, in the end did finish with 33, five and three. He was eight and nine for the free throw line. But like Bam Adebayo had 19 points on 812 shooting. But yeah, like you look at that, like, oh, the Cavs didn't do much star wise. But if you actually watch the game, you could see like Cleveland was playing very hard and Miami had to work for their buckets in this one. And the, likewise for Cleveland. But like you said, it's just a tip of the cap moment. You're like, ah. You get one in Miami, and that's a good thing at the end of the day, and you just shift your focus now to Charlotte and hopefully take care of business against a Hornets team that isn't so playoff-focused like the Heat and more fixated on maybe improving their draft standings. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I do have to say, I, I alluded to it uh, when I was talking to Wes Goldberg uh, on the last podcast, but I think Max Struess is rapidly rising on my list of like mid-level exception crushes. Uh, for free agency this summer, I, I would be all over uh, trying to bring him aboard because uh, Miami's got don't, don't don't get don't get don't get the Cavs fine for tampering, Justin. <laughs> I, you know what? That I think that would be great for the podcast. It's great publicity. <laughs> uh, but no, like a, a shot maker like that, uh, there, oh, yeah. there's obviously a, an appeal in that. Um, yeah, it's it's funny because the Cavs, d- despite where the narratives are at, the Cavs have the best fourth quarter net rating in the NBA, uh, and the only playoff team with a better fourth quarter offense than the Cavs is the Philadelphia 76ers. So um, it, it, they just weren't able to get it done on this night, and mm-hmm. I, I thought it was very clear that Donovan Mitchell started to run out of gas, and I, I think those were moments where it would have been really helpful to have Darius Garland. Yeah. But I mean, the big story, and I alluded to it at the top, is the health of, of the Cavs core four. And if I'm being honest, this is what's got me concerned. Uh, th- there's no update on Jared Allen uh, right now. I, I believe 8 p.m. is the uh, deadline for the Cavs to, to submit an injury update. Uh, I kind of expect him to miss some time uh, with, mm-hmm. with this eye injury. And uh, even Darius Garland, you know, not participating in, in practice, uh, receiving treatment, I believe, was the, the report by Chris Fedor uh, yesterday, and then obviously not playing in this game. It's It's got, like, all the PTSD coming back because you're now at the quote-unquote easy part of the schedule again. And v- mm-hmm. once again, 
start some injuries start to pop up. So how concerned are you right now with, with the, the health of the cast stars? I'm we need a proper diagnosis. Obviously that Allen injury looked brutal in real time. Like Bam got him pretty good in the eye with his finger. And I, I want to say it was inadvertent. And like you yeah, said, it was. The, 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 the Raptors, the Raptors joke was a good one. It got a chuckle out of me, but it's unfortunate the fact that like Alan took so long to get off the court and the fact that he was holding a towel against his eye, people were wondering like, Oh, is it bleeding? Or is it just in pain? Like we, we won't get an update, but like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if he misses the next game or two. Hopefully he's available for Wednesday's game against Philadelphia, just as an extra line of defense against Joel Embiid, especially because him and Mobley together are terrifying defending yeah. the paint. But I mean, even then, I, I think it's just the long-term projection. Once we have a proper diagnosis, I can actually gauge my concerns. Mm-hmm. And in the Garland thing, like quad contusions are no joke. Like people joked it's the South Beach flu, but as you said, there's clear, tangible footage of him getting hit in the quad. And people thought they people thought they were so clever. They're like, ah, oh, there it is, there it is. Yeah. When there was video of him <laughs> getting hurt, like it exactly. <laughs> they're, they're probably going to blame it, uh, uh, Jared Allen's eye injury on that too, because they they think it, it's the funniest thing on earth. But no, like. Like it's, oh, yeah. He very clearly got hurt. And I'm sitting here all concerned while people are making jokes. And I'm like, this is this. No, no, I'm I'm the optimist and I'm concerned. This this is not how this dynamic is supposed to go. Now, if we lost anyone uh, to, to the South Beach flu, I'm very concerned for Wine and Gold Radio. I, I hope we're off and Joe G bank it back safely. But so <laughs> pr- prayers out to them. So but. To your point, Darius was listed as questionable, so that, at least in my mind, equates to him being a game-time decision, seeing how he's doing physically. Like you said, he wasn't present at shoot-around prior to Friday night's game, and he was getting treatment for it. So if you can afford to rest him against the Hornets, and again, have him available for Wednesday's game against Philly, that's really encouraging, just because I look just historically, like the Cavs have a pretty good track record of taking care of business against some batter teams. Like I look at like the Pistons sometimes it's a little dicey, but there's the first time they played Detroit without both Mitchell and Garland. You got Mobley and Allen tear them apart. And then you saw something pretty similar the second time around, but this time against the Hornets, you'll likely have Donovan Mitchell barring anything unforeseen knock on wood for that. And Evan Mobley, like that's a pretty good combo. And then, People can kind of thumb their nose at it at times, but like Karis Levert's super effective when he's playing in spread pick and roll next to Donovan Mitchell. And like the Cavs have found a lot of success at those lineups. So again, once we have like a full diagnosis of Allen's eye injury, I'll have a better area of concern. But like for right now, just looking at the next two games in Charlotte, I'm not too overwhelmingly concerned just because the Cleveland does have the luxury of added star power. And I said this the other day, like even if Garland is out for the next two more games of the quad injury like getting donovan mitchell was the perfect insurance policy for the event you need to rest darius garland in any capacity because he's already showed us multiple times at the beginning of the year when garland is out with the eye injury that he's able to carry the load offensively and do plenty defensively and just in any way shape or form to make sure the Cavs win and again let's not let's say it's a lesser opponent because they're professional athletes and they can all kick my butt one-on-one but <laughs> at the end of the day there is a talent gap between where Cleveland is at and where Charlotte is at. And I think again, if you're the Cavs, you go in, take care of business and then not be looking at Wednesday's game. Obviously look at the opponent in front of you, but just again, take care of business. And then again, we'll see how things are Wednesday. And again, when we have, I see keeps in again a lot, but oh, oh, right. Jared, again and again and again, here we go. <laughs> but like Jared Allen, we get a proper update on his eye because it looked gnarly in real time. And like you said, there's no update on it at this time. Yeah, I I think a healthy respect of Charlotte is necessary because this is a team that's won seven of their last 10 games. Uh, They did the Cavs a big favor by going into Madison Square Garden and 
hitting their shots and, and coming away with the win there. So uh, you do got to take them seriously. Uh, There's still good veterans on that team. Uh, Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward, uh, Kelly Oubre is inconsistent, but he can get hot at times. So, oh, yeah. Um, and, and also, like, you look at past matchups, right? Like, it's unfortunate that Allen gets hurt right as we're about to go into a three games in four days stretch that seems mm-hmm. to always be how it is right like uh, a four-day injury causes three games missed right like uh it, it's unfortunate but there's an opportunity especially with this second game to take care of business and allow your starters to not play heavy minutes and that's going to give you your best chance against philadelphia who oh, yeah. will have two days of rest and won't be dealing with the travel situation that the Cavs have and that's that's a very important game right like i think the the hopes of the three seed are dwindling to some extent. It, it was unfortunate that Portland blew their big lead a, against Philadelphia yesterday. Um, Philly does still have a, a really tough close to the season, but these, mm-hmm. this next week or two is kind of the softer part of their remaining schedule. So you want to still stay within puncher's range and you want to give yourself as much yeah. breathing room as possible uh, against the Knicks. But you're right. Like Karis LeVert, I thought Karis LeVert had a great game against the Knicks. And yeah, he he routinely has been stepping up when one of the guards is out and mm-hmm. it does kind of get my gears turning and get me thinking towards playoff basketball because what the Cavs have got from contributions from Ricky Rubio has been very inconsistent. I thought he was good in the first game against Miami. His numbers were good. I know he had eight assists in the second game, but some of the decision-making made me a little bit uneasy, even when he hits that little step-back jumper. Every time he hits it, I it still makes me uncomfortable when he's doing that. But maybe as an option, because I, I think it's important to keep trying to give him reps and, and see if you can get him going over this last month. But on the nights where he doesn't have it, I wouldn't hate for second half to kind of be a three-guard rotation with Garland, uh, Mitchell, and Lavert to kind mm-hmm. of keep Karras a little more active, give him a few more on-ball reps, because when he gets the touches, he really does seem a whole lot more comfortable. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you're seeing a little bit of it right now, just with the fact that like J.B. Bickerstaff does tighten up his rotations at times, and maybe there are nights Ricky just doesn't have it 100%. Like, I, I know a lot of folks are saying like, and they've been asking like, Hey, is uh, Ricky hundred percent yet? And I believe the mentality is like, he's physically there. It's just now he needs to kind of get the rust shaken off just because he's missed so much time. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like the three pointers, I kind of go, no, no, no. Yes. When I watch him shoot them, but like, cause he just shot is a little still too flat for me, but I agree with you. Like if Rubio has it, obviously give him the runway to cook, let him, you work as a playmaker and a guy getting your bench unit, just going. And if it's just not working, especially with the playoffs and living like this, like get Karis Levert a little bit more comfortable, get him a little bit more familiar again with Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, because sure, it was a little mixed when Levert was in the starting lineup. And that's why JB and Karis both said like, hey, it's probably for the best. You come off the bench to maximize your opportunity shot wise. And maybe there's ways you can get creative with it, too. Maybe you just run two guard lineups at times or it's always one of Garland or Mitchell. And then you have Levert being the uh, Robin to their Batman in those lineups. And then you let Levert kind of cook that way, because there's a lot of tangible footage of Cleveland like finding offensive success where they run two guard lineups where Levert is like the second or third option in a lot of these sets. And he just put some shooting and spacing next to them. And Karis just finds really good results. Like he is a good enough playmaker. I think he tries hard on defense to your point. Like he steps up when the team needs him to in certain situations, but I think you just need to find him more of just a little bit of a defined role, especially if, 
Kobe Altman's hopes come true and like he is like a long-term part of this project that they're building and like he they can continue to find success with either him and Mitchell or him and Garland or all three of them at the same time. Yeah, and it's funny because I think the move to put him to the bench was, you know, a, an effort to get 48 minutes of more consistent offense, right? To mm-hmm. get him a little more comfortable individually. But when you look at the collective success of that lineup, that is still their best five-man unit. When you look at Garland, Mitchell, Levert, Mobley, and Allen, they have a plus 13 mm-hmm. net rating in almost 200 minutes together. The defense is fantastic with that lineup. So that's that's an important lineup for them to have and to go to because it does seem like when you look at these games, if the Cavs' last five minutes are trailing, you're going to go the Levert route, right? Like you're going to try to get another ball handler out there to open up mm-hmm. opportunities for the guards. Whereas if you have the lead, you, you're you going to probably have Isaac Okoro out there, especially if he's playing well. So for yeah. a Cavs lineup that doesn't have a lot of optionality and, and uh, different op- uh, ways that they can go and play, that's kind of the, the big card uh, that, that JB has to play when, when we're looking mm-hmm. at the playoff picture. Yeah, and it, it's I, I don't envy the situation JB's in right now just because he has guys that are still trying to get healthy, whether it's ricky rubio or maybe dean wade is still trying to find his confidence and rhythm and like wade has been phased out of the rotation for more stevens and rightfully so stevens has been kicking butt for the last few games and you should reward that play but yeah. it's it does make like me uneasy Levert. though right like yeah. garland missing time is okay because we know lever steps up in those spots dean wade not playing well is it makes me uncomfortable it makes me more uneasy with this allen injury because Mm -hmm. in theory he's that guy that can go four or five and and this might be hey this sometimes injuries are an opportunity for someone to get back into the lineup and earn a spot within the rotation but the track record so far since he's come back from the shoulder injury has been discouraging yeah it's it's curious to me like just because in theory when you look at dean wade on paper he is like you said a guy who can play three four or five he moves quickly on defense he plays well on defense but he provides spacing which is so key for a team that plays seven footers and also just has guys who command so much respect on the perimeter having that guy who can just provide you threat when the defense sags off he was so huge for you and it's a little tough i wonder if it's a confidence thing i wonder if it's him finding his confidence within the flow of this just offensive dichotomy between Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. And maybe it's a health thing too. Maybe he isn't hundred percent physically just because he is dealing with the shoulder issues and no guy is hundred percent, almost 70 games into the season at this point, you're trying to grind through it at times. But, and again, if you're JB Bickerstaff, like you're trying to squeeze blood from a stone sometimes just, just to find something that works to give you that balance between offense and defense and kind of just bring you back to the center of when the Cavs were just playing high flying basketball at the beginning of the year. And I think there are glimpses of it. I think we saw it, especially like in the third quarter against Miami when Cleveland started to really pull ahead and maybe stretch that lead out just a bit enough that you're like, okay, I think the Cavs are, kind of finding a way to beat Miami and not at their own game. And uh, you're just waiting for that, like other option to emerge. And yes, Karis Levert stepped up, but I just think Ricky Rubio still coming back is tough. I think Jetty Osmond kind of being still a little unsteady at times is tough. I think Dean Wade fading out is tough, but like you have guys like Lamar Stevens, at least stepping up, which is encouraging, but you're hoping at least with the last, 
I'm doing the math now. 13 games in the season, you can find a way to maybe get some of these supplemental role players in a more defined role. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe with Allen out, this is an opportunity for Dean Wade to get a little bit more runway to kind of find that balance, maybe find that shot again, so that when you come playoff time, like you're a little bit more focused and you're able to say, like, okay, I have reliable options one through 10 or 11 at this point, but you shorten things up. And that's that's a really good problem to have. Yeah, completely. And even it's interesting because the Cavs really are balancing two timelines, right? Like, because they are very good now, but every move needs to kind of keep the future in mind. Like, even when Ricky Rubio signed, the messaging was pretty consistently, we think he can help off the bench, like, as being like a mentor to these guys, but it's probably going to be more about year two with him, right? That, uh, you know, coming off an ACL injury that, that first year, it's, it's always a, a little bit rough. And the, the same thing goes for Danny Green. Like I was listening to uh, the latest Wine and Gold Radio. Again, shout out to Rafa and Joe G, as well as producer Matt Gold, who is, is getting us live on, on YouTube right now. Um, but Danny Green joined them and he was talking about how the team is basically treating this as an extension of his rehab right now, right? Like, let's mm-hmm. let's try to get myself physically right so that I can contribute yeah. now. But when you look at that signing, I, I believe it was reported that it was a little over the the minimum that gives you a little bit of flexibility to potentially bring him back next year right where Mm -hmm. he he might have more legs under him you're you're always balancing these two timelines and i just think the fact that dean wade hasn't been able to regain his form really kind of has thrown a wrench into things because yeah he had been very reliable uh especially as a defender but uh he had been a pretty reliable floor spacer right and and he all the lineup data was always good with him and for him yes. to, to not have kind of that confidence and to be in a groove is unfortunate. But that's that's one of those things where I have short-term concerns with Dean Wade. Long-term, yeah. I, I think he's going to get this right, right? Like, even if it's next season because uh, of getting that, that shoulder right and regaining the confidence, um, I, I my long-term confidence in Dean Wade is a whole lot higher. But we have short-term concerns. We have short-term problems. Mm-hmm. And they're just isn't a lot of consistent options. I, I do have yeah. to ask you, after this two-game in series in Miami, has your view of the Miami Heat changed a little bit, or at least how you view them in relation to the Cavs? Um, not necessarily. I think defensively, the way the Heat plays, like a pie-in-the-sky scenario for J.B. Bickerstaff, like having a team like that could flip that switch like that's that's what you want to achieve if you're Cleveland at the end of the day but obviously like you said it's it's two timelines between player development and contention or at least making the playoffs in the sense where you're having this really young squad that is taking the next step but like also trying to grow and develop and give that runway to learn and like you're seeing with Isaac Goro where like he spends the night defending Jimmy Butler or even Tyler Harrow in some capacity. You see Evan Mobley doing stuff on Jimmy Butler and just doing Evan Mobley things. Like there's a lot of encouraging signs, but I think for like Cleveland, if you want to draw a parallel between the two or maybe like an optimistic scenario, like defensively, you're hoping like, okay, we're really freaking good defensively, but when we need to, we can tighten up completely and just completely lock you down one through five and make life so frustrating for you that you don't want to play us. And I think, Miami has a little bit of that edge to them. I think that's just, you know, the hashtag heat culture that they've always <laughs> had going for them at the end of the day. But again, it's it's encouraging at least that you're able to get the first one. I think there's a lot of emotional baggage just because it's the first time you've seen Kevin Love in an opposing uniform and you have to deal with that scenario. But like, you took care of that one and you're able to move past that. And then in the second game, like 
the Cavs had it and it did slip through their fingers, but encouragingly enough, like they're fighting until the end. Like this wasn't like a blowout loss or some catastrophic defeat on Cleveland's hat expense. It's, it's just a loss. And like you alluded to earlier, like you just tip your cap and you move forward. It's just a loss. And Hey, we have a winning record and we are able to get, take care of business and go one and one to start this road trip. Yeah. I, I think my opinion has shifted just a little bit. Um, I still think I'd probably rather play the Knicks versus the Heat. Uh, but oh, we're talking playoff wise. No, I would not want to face the Heat right now. Yeah, it's that that veteran edge, and I think Eric Spolster just having the time to tactically make Cleveland's life frustrating for a seven game series would not be a fun first outing for Darius Garland and Evan Mobley and those guys. Yeah, and I just so the interesting thing is both Miami and New York really rely on their guys hitting tough shots Knicks oh, are yeah. 30th in in assist percentage a lot of isolation they are the better three-point shooting team and the Cavs have had issues with kind of five out lineups or or four out lineups at times uh, defending the three-point line so that gives me a little bit of concern but Jimmy Butler's ability to make tough shots and, and elevate his game like um I, I I think it was Zach Lowe that was talking about this where you bump mm-hmm. him up like seven spots in your player rankings once the, the postseason comes around. Like that concerns me, but I think my Miami fears have gone down just a little bit because there's just not a lot of shooting with that supporting cast and the ability for Jimmy to do that four out of seven games. Like that's asking a lot against a very good Cavs defense. So I think well, I feel that's, okay that's... about it. That's where you get the meme of Jimmy Butler, like, like hunched over the stanchion. <laughs> like, that's that's the kind of game. The guys are gonna ask for Jimmy in the playoffs if you're Miami. No, absolutely not. So my opinion of Miami may have changed a little bit, but my opinion of Zoom has not. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. Know who has been changing some opinions lately? Isaac Okoro. I oh, thought has. I thought he had a very good two-game stretch against Miami. Went four of six uh, from three, 11 of 16 from the floor, four steals. He actually, I think he's the only person I've seen intercept a Kevin Love or, or break up a Kevin Love like full, full court outlet on the way up. Usually it's like down the court, you know, someone gets there, yeah. gets a hand on it or whatever. But Isaac saw that coming. He saw Kevin loading up and picked it off at half court. Uh, that was impressive. I I, mm-hmm. I like a lot of what Isaac did in these games. And the thing that really intrigued me was in crunch time of game one, using Isaac so much as a screener down the stretch. Because if you used either Evan Mobley or Jared Allen as the ball screener for Darius Garland, you know, based on how Miami plays defense, that that means Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo is trapping Garland up at the top, whereas using Isaac in those spots gets Tyler Hero involved defensively. And even though those sets weren't run super cleanly, I do think while that's a set they can run better, it's a really important one for them to work on for the postseason because teams Mm -hmm. are going to try to exploit Okoro defensively, and this is one way you can counteract that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think more than anything, like 
Isaac Okoro is the perfect case study of this timeline and this weird, just like situation, not weird, unique situation the Cavs are in where they have to focus on player development all while contending. And JB, to his credit, had a lot of patience with Isaac and his development. Sure, he there's times he's coming off the bench, there's times he's getting DNP coaches decisions, but you're seeing, especially now that he's been inserted as a starting small forward, like why the Cavs were willing to stick it out with him and why they're willing to keep investing time, energy, and resources into him. Because like you said, like these last two games against Miami are super encouraging. And I asked him the other day, just because you like you alluded to defensively, a lot of teams are going to sag off of him and clog up the paint and make things a little muddy for him. And I said, do you feel disrespected? He's like, no, I have to make those shots. And like, he's fully aware of what he needs to do out there. And the fact that, he was three of four in the first game from three point range. I think he was three of three for the better part of the game for a while there. And he was one of two from free throw range in the second game, but three of three from the line. Like you see a core being fluid enough shooting wise that that's super functional. I think your point about using him as a screener, maybe an off ball cutter and things like that is a really unique way to unlock this offense. And what I think about a lot is not even just using him as a screener, but mostly as a cutter. Like if you have Evan Mobley at the top, like he acting as that offensive hub and you have like Okoro or Donovan Mitchell streaking to the basket, or you have Mitchell and Garland floating on the perimeter. Like that makes you a lot more multifaceted because that also enables Evan Mobley as a playmaker, which is something I know the Cavs want to do more of. And that that's just really fun. And Okoro, again, always has to do the dirty work for this team. Like he draws the primary defensive assignment, on the on the perimeter for Cleveland, so like so, let's say Terry Rozier plays uh, Sunday for Charlotte. Like Acoro is probably going to spend the better part of the game defending Rozier, or come Wednesday when they play Philly, like he's going to spend the better part of the game defending James Harden. And it's it's going to be tough to see what he does, but the fact that he's able to kind of bring both ends of the court and be impactful on both ends of the court rather, like is encouraging and is fitting the bill of what the Cavs need, at least right now, small forward where it's a low usage dude who gives you eight to 10 points steps up. If you need him to, to go a little bit above that, but plays really hard onto the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. That kind of connects just the two things the Cavs need to be like a balanced, very overwhelming force. Yeah, I agree. And getting him involved in the offensive sets, using him as a screener, that's, that's how you avoid kind of the Isaac is standing in the corner and the opponent's yeah. weakest defender is just on him, right? Like, a- as you said, even if it's off-ball screens, you want to get those guys in actions. So it's funny, it, not to, to rag on this person, because I, I think it, it's a mistake people often make, but I had a, a, someone reply to me last during last night's game and say, we need to be posting up Kevin Love and, and kind of exposing him as a defender. Just because someone's a bad defender doesn't mean they're a poor defender in yeah. all situations, right? Like, Kevin's actually a good post defender. What you want to do is get him in space, right? Like, and yep. and some defenders, they're actually decent on ball. Like, Colin Sexton w- was decent on ball at times, right? Like, you could dig in. The way that you expose him is those off-ball actions, right? Like, get, yep. trying to, to get him uh, figuring out, falling asleep, uh, dying on screens, or whatever the case may be. So for Isaac to be involved in the offense in that way, I, I think really it compromises the defense and it also opens up opportunities for him as a cutter. Like that finish he had through contact was massive. Like it, it, Darius Garland had some rough turnovers down the stretch in, in game one, but the shot that he hit and that pass to Okoro, that was crucial. Those were the game deciding plays. So for Isaac to be involved and for him to make those plays in these high leverage moments for him to hit these threes against Miami in high leverage moments. Mm-hmm. This is why people continue to have faith in him, my, myself included. Like, I'm, 
Yeah. The the real estate prices on Okoro Island aren't rising at the same rate as they are in Miami, but you know they are still going up. There is steady growth there. It's a booming market. I'm a believer in Okoro, and and like you said, there yeah. there is an increased amount of pressure on the Cavs because they're better than expected right now, right? Like they have all the markings of a contender, but the eye test isn't there just yet. I'm I'm yeah. not on Contender Island with the Cavs, but that does put a, an increased amount of pressure on Okoro. But I still do think that patience is key here because I, I think that there's something worth developing here. And we see yes. it time and time again that like he's 22. He just turned 22 years old. That like he's not even close to his prime. He's not even close to touching his potential. And, and I, I think that continuing to invest in his development and find ways to use him within this offense is really mm-hmm. important. Oh, it's super important. I think just the fact that he's comfortable being that low usage fifth banana in this offense, just because he was the primary option at um, Auburn more often than I'm sure he was the primary option at high school. Like the fact that he's able to have the humility and realize like, Hey, this is bigger than me is also helpful too, because as JD Bickerstaff has alluded to several times, like, there's a lot of dudes on this team that were picked top five or just higher than that who have kind of could have come in here and like mucked up the offense by taking a bunch of ill-advised shots or just demanding the ball more often than not and just kind of kill the flow of things. But you have this full like team collective that's super endearing about it. Like Evan Mobley is a good example of it just because you don't see a lot of top picks, like not really prioritize the offensive side of the ball and rather focus on defense, but let the offense come to him naturally. And you're seeing it with a Coro as well, where, He's very comfortable. Like it's a good night for him if he has eight points, two assists, a couple rebounds, but he just has a lot of good solid defensive plays. And I agree with you. Um, the eye test isn't there, but like you're seeing tangible growth from like the beginning of the season to the midpoint to now, where you're like, okay, yeah, the signs are encouraging where it's not fully on contender island, but you're seeing growth from guys like Akoro, from guys like Mobley, even guys like Garland and Donovan Mitchell, who's showing defensive chops too. And like yep. Jared Allen continues to grow. Like, this is a very young Cavs team that is just continuing to learn and figure itself out as they evolve. And yeah, they're not contenders quite yet. They're gonna make the playoffs. I feel pretty comfortable in saying that. I don't think that's a hot take at this point no and... I, I i'll i'll say it i i think five's the floor i i think they're getting yeah. four i'm my my optimism for three ha- has dwindled but i i think i think they're getting I four agree. and five is the absolute floor and it's it's fun it's just fun to watch because it's just such an interesting situation because it's so unique as i said where they're focusing on player development and they're also focusing on winning right now and they're kind of going hand in hand with each other now we're like the fruits of the player development staff's labors are starting to kind of come to fruition here yeah and and the interesting thing with okoro too right like discussing nba basketball i I think it can be really tricky because there's 82 games it's so hard to not like over index like one way or another on regular season matchups and i i think that's why so often the discourse at, at least with from a national perspective it always goes macro, right? Like every game it's okay. Well, do we blow up the team? Do we sell this guy? Do we fire this guy? When, when in reality, so much of basketball really is about the internal growth. And for Okoro, like one of the things that I I track and have been looking at is there isn't, (laughs) this is both a good and bad thing. There isn't a rhyme Mm. or reason for when he has good and bad games. Like, it's not like he plays well against the, the Houston Rockets, but then, uh, when you play a Boston or, or Philly or Miami, all of a sudden he's not playing well. Like Miami is an elite defensive team 
And he just had two of his better games. His best game last season came against the Philadelphia 76ers on the road, right? Like he Mm -hmm. he's had some good games against very good teams and very good defenses. And that makes me think that it's more about him getting comfortable within the offense and within his own skill set and continuing to grow those skills rather than this guy does something well that's only translates against weaker competition. And that's what gives Mm -hmm. me hope, right? Because as much as we obsess over like the starting lineup and whatnot, it's very possible that this summer the Cavs go out, use the mid-level exception on a shooter, and the best lineup that they can run is a starting lineup with that player. Yeah. But developing Okoro and having his skill set translate to to working with the core four, which it has this year, that's yeah. important because you want to have that lineup versatility. You want to have confidence that uh, the, he can play. 24, 26 minutes off the bench, and those lineups mm-hmm. are going to be good. So that's why this skill development is so important. It's not about making it work with the starters. If it does, that'd be great, obviously. But it, it's, yeah. it's very, very important film and very important reps for the long-term future of this team. Yeah, and again, to your point, like he had his arguably some of his better games this season against the heat recently that's an elite defensive team he had a really great game last year against philly as you said and that's a very good defensive team as well memphis and it's just memphis too and like the fact that the it just kind of just fits this ethos where like isaac isn't like okay i'm gonna come in here and take up all these shots and i'm gonna be just an absolute problem he's very comfortable with finding his fit and finding the best way to maximize not only his opportunities but the team's opportunities to win because Again, they're in a little bit of an unexpected situation because they went from picking Evan Mobley and being one of the worst teams record-wise to overnight being one of the best teams in the league. And I think that's encouraging just in terms of signs of growth. But also, like you said, like it's not just like he's exploiting bad teams. He's playing really good teams and playing really well against them. And I think credit to the coaching staff as well, having the confidence in him to continue going to him when his hand is hot. And also, you know, building that trust between those two groups and also just helping Isaac find trust in himself and continue to grow because those are just like feathers in the cap moment. You're like, okay, yeah, this is what Isaac Okoro could be at his absolute apex. Let's help him keep getting there so that he can hit that point. And maybe like you said, like the Cavs go out and get a shooter, they get a somehow a tangible upgrade at like small forward. It's like, it makes too much sense to start this player. And the <laughs> thing is like, if you help Okoro hit his apex, he's still going to keep you that kind of production. He'll just be at a different level because he's coming off the bench, but more encouragingly, he's okay with that because he knows it's going to lead to overall team success and winning because numbers just aren't the only things he's, he's obsessed with and he's chasing. Yeah. And the other thing guys know with confidence is JB is always going to ride the hot hand in a game, right? Like if there is a lineup that's working, you're going to get opportunities, right? Like, uh, a couple nights ago, it was Jared Allen that got pulled in the fourth quarter, right, for in favor of Lamar Stevens, and, and that was important to the success of that game. Like, it, it'll go any direction, right? Like, there's always going to be that opportunity. And when you're talking about player development, man, I just, I could not be more excited with how well Evan Mobley's playing right now. Um, he didn't have a mm-hmm. great game uh, in the second game against Miami. Um, it w- was a little bit off, and I think especially looking at with Jared Allen out and and without Darius Garland to, to get him the ball. uh, Miami was able to do a better job taking away opportunities and making it harder to get him the ball. But Mm -hmm. overall, if you're looking at, if you're looking at the charts of of where the Evan Mobley stocks are going, it is going up in a hurry. And I, I could not be more excited about how good he's getting. And, And I honestly, I think how good Evan Mobley has been, 
is what creates this sense of urgency and some of the the angst with the Cavs because it's okay this this guy's going to put us in like legitimate contention conversations sooner than we expected yeah and i mean first off it's great to be named evan and live in cleveland because everybody's <laughs> just making life better for all of us but at the end of the day like evan mobley is another interesting case study where a lot of people were kind of frustrated him not taking that initial leap to start year two and it, it's a little bit of a luxury of having donovan mitchell to maybe mitigate some of that need for mobley to do a lot but it's just the defensive stuff. I still believe he's one of the best isolation defenders in the NBA. I believe, without a doubt in my mind, he should be in the defensive player of the year conversation. If not that, he should be on a team, all defense, whether it's first, second, or third, just because of how well he's played. It's just the fact that he's so multifaceted as a defensive player. Like You see him defending Jimmy Butler, and he looks comfortable doing it. You see him defending Bam Adebayo, and he looks comfortable doing it. You see him defending Kevin Love, who's more of a shooter and a stretchier big, and he's comfortable doing it. Like One through five, it's just insane how talented he is on the defensive side of the ball, and just like how cerebral he is as a defender, too. Like He just has a full understanding of NBA-level defensive concepts from your one and yeah to your point like Evan Mobley was a lot of the catalyst last season for the Cavs and just kind of just turning it into this elite def- I mean yes the foundation was there whether it was a Coro and Allen and some of the other pieces Cleveland and Assemble and they had some offensive firepower but like Mobley was just kind of the catalyst that like launched this thing into motion and I understand the angst maybe now that he's starting to let his offensive or now that his offensive game is catching up to what his defensive game is and his defensive game is still miles ahead of where his offensive game can be but oh, yeah. it's the three-point shooting it's the playmaking it's just like we talked about this with Chris Manning off the air on and a G chat and like, yeah, team handle like full go. Like if Evan Mobley can tighten up his handle this summer and like if the Cavs can just maybe copy of what the Nuggets do with Nikola Jokic or even what the Heat do with Bam Adebayo in terms of playmaking and just like kind of unlock the offense a little bit more that way. Like there's so much Evan Mobley can do and it's, it's scary to think about what his apex could be as a player, but it's exciting to watch it kind of come to fruition. And we always talk about how the Cavs like have like a dire need for a starting small forward. I know it's a concept that we talk about a lot on Locked On Cavs, but I do think about the late Jonathan Shark saying that they they have it in Evan Mobley. It's just he's just that kind of just alien of a player. He's so unique and just in every which way. And like I hate the term unicorn, so he's just unique. And the fact that he's able just to do all these different things and just kind of handle every assignment and process it so well is like. It's insane to watch. Like he just steps up when the team needs him to, but he's very comfortable, kind of like a Coro, not doing a ton offensively because he'd rather grind it out and help the team win in every different way he can. Yeah, it's man, it, we're really in a, a fascinating spot with, with with the Cavs and with Evan Mobley because what he does alongside Jared Allen is, is so oh, impressive. Yeah. And like my concerns are never that macro with the team this season because the most important thing is for the core four to work well together and they do like the the, the, the lineup data is fantastic and like yeah. they it's good on both ends of the court and this is the most raw they're going to be like jared oh, yeah. allen is only going to get better from here evan mobley is only going to get better from here darius garland is only going to get better from here right like they're they're in such a unique spot and it what they need from the supporting cast is so like I, I don't want to kind of trivialize it but they don't need a ton from a starting small forward right like and maybe that's part of why people feel pressure and angst with that too right it's just that you're you're in this spot where like 
You just need someone to knock down shots. You just need a, yeah. a little bit of that supplemental playmaking. But as Evan Mobley continues to get better, it's just, it's going to change the conversation for the Cavs in a hurry, right? Like we're going to get mm -hmm. into these legitimate contending conversations in a hurry because the growth has been so exponential from what we expected him to be pre-draft. Like if you look at those expectations of the player he is today, it's night and day. That drop oh, yeah. step spin move he did on Bam Adebayo, one of the best defensive players in the league, dunking like, oh my god, this guy is good at basketball. If, and if that does if that didn't get you excited, you don't have a pulse. Like that was so cool. <laughs> it was ridiculously cool. Um, but man, he, he's just he's playing such good basketball. But when we do look, when we zoom out and we look at the supporting cast, I, I really want to get your thoughts on this because, mm -hmm. as I said, I have confidence with the core four. Hopefully, Jared Allen's healthy. I mean, health is, is the biggest concern that I have with them. But if you could choose one player outside of that to get on track and get into a groove down the rest of the regular season, because uh, Carter tweeted this today. I have heard this sentiment a bunch, but it, just kind of saying, hey, there's nothing left to learn from the regular season. And to some extent, that's true. But I, I mm -hmm. think there is still opportunity to get guys on track, right? Whether it's getting Ricky oh, yeah. Rubio to look better, Karis LeVert, Isaac Okoro, Dean Wade. Is there a guy that you would pick if you could magically get someone on track? Who would you pick with the Cavs? See, that's a really good question because I feel like Isaac Okoro is kind of on the right track. So I'm going to consider him, but I think it's, it's Dean Wade, especially if Jared Allen is out you're able to get that supplemental four or five shooting. You're also going to be able to get that supplemental four or five depth as well. And it kind of just rounds out this rotation a little bit more and gives you a little bit more what you need. Like not to discredit Lamar Stevens. He's played really well over the last few games, but like on paper, Dean Wade is a better shooter than Lamar Stevens. And I think that's what you kind of need if you're Cleveland is, as you said, like we're not trying to trivialize or maybe marginalize what the Cavs need, but like adding shooting to this roster is kind of just the end all be all. And I think, Danny Green was a buyout signing. Yes, it was a little bit more than the vet men, as you alluded to. So maybe there is a little bit of mutual interest to keep him around long term. And to quote my co-host, you can never have too many adults in the room with mm -hmm. this team this young. But J.P. Bickerstaff said to me the other day, like, he's not 100% healthy. And they're trying to get him right physically. And as you said, he, when he was on the other day with um, Rafa and those guys, like he's still working his way back. He's trying to understand the offensive decent defensive concepts. And I feel like the last 13 games, you're not going to get that from Danny green. So maybe that's the long-term pitch there. Mm -hmm. So just my answer is Dean Wade. Like if you're able to kind of unlock him and maybe help him find his confidence again, especially as a shooter and just let him be like that fifth banana on the offensive flow, like that could do so much for you, especially with Evan Mobley ascending so much, especially with, like you said, this core four being so comfortable for pretty much right away. And then if they continue to grow together, like that's really encouraging. And then you have like a coral coming in, you have Karis LeVert who's starting to find his groove a little bit. Like you could be cooking with something pretty nice come playoff time. If you can get, Dean Wade just feeling right again over these last 10-ish games or so. Yeah, it, Dean Wade's a great answer. And honestly, he was, when I was coming up with the question, uh, he was my initial thought. I think I'm going to go Karis LeVert, though, because, like, Karis, the buy-in has been there. The defensive effort is so much better. Uh, the, the cat, like, he's never going to be a great defender, uh, but the catch-all yeah. metrics do have him as, like, neutral to like a, a slight plus right which is probably what you hope uh he'll gamble for steals and, and that's always going to help that kind of stuff but 
uh, possession by possession, you'll you'll see mistakes, you'll see them foul three point shooters, right? But it's in the service of effort at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, the, the best lineup that they have, five man lineup, involves Karis Levert, right? His ability to provide playmaking, to provide uh, turnovers and, and defense and, and rebounding, like the offensive rebounds in the clutch has been a big thing for him, right? Oh yeah. Like, all of that stuff is really helpful. And if he can just get back to career norms when it comes to shooting, like his mid-range shooting has fallen off a cliff. Uh, he just hasn't found a groove. And I think some of that, you know, it's it's in service of trying to make the right team play and whatnot. Yeah. But getting him into a groove, I think what he can do is so important for playoff basketball, right? Like being able to hit those mid-range shots, tough shot creation, the, the pick-and-roll playmaking. I think that getting him on track would be my like number one hope. I think Dean Wade mm-hmm. is a great answer as well. Um, but I, I just like I, I think that there's something that he can bring. And like I said, I think I'd start to trend towards when you're looking at playoff basketball. Maybe uh, Ricky Rubio losing some of those minutes, at least in the mm-hmm. second half to Karis LeVert needs to be a consideration just to get him more ball handling reps. And if you're going to play a guy that, that isn't moving as well around, because uh, Rick, Ricky still kind of looks a little slow out there, maybe yeah. you go Karras as the, the guard instead of Ricky, and that kind of guy that, that's struggling to move around becomes Danny Green, right? Because he can at least hit down a shot if if he is yeah. able to get healthier, as you said. Or or maybe it's Jetty Osmond, right, that, that you have him out there for shooting. So I just think that that might be one kind of remaining adjustment that the Cavs may mm-hmm. be able to go to, but obviously you're hoping over this last month, because uh, we're now, you know, it's, uh, I guess, 31 days in, until the playoffs start, uh, or 35 days until the playoffs start. Um, you're you're hoping that that these guys can, can start to get into a groove because mm-hmm. the core works. We know that. It's not a concern for me. It, having options to go to in the playoffs is the most important thing. Yeah, and I agree with you on the Karis LeVert point, just having options to go to, because there are going to be moments or situations where maybe both Darius and Donovan don't have it, or at least one of those two don't. And I think Karis LeVert has the skill set and package, at least, and that pedigree as well to win you a game or two in the playoffs as well, because you saw it earlier in the season when he started alongside Donovan, he scored 41 points against the Celtics. And like, there's just nights where he looks absolutely unconscious from three point range and everyone on offense. And if you're able to just kind of find a little bit more of a, a steadiness to the spot up shooting, especially if he's able to benefit from the cleaner open looks, the Cavs are generating for him. Like, That'll do a lot for this team offensively too. And to your point, like if you give more minutes to Karis LeVert down the stretch in favor of Ricky Rubio, and maybe if Danny Green is feeling more right, like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Or heck, Jetty Osmond too. Like Jetty Osmond maybe isn't the plus plus defender that JB Bickerstaff would like to have in that spot, but at least he provides you shooting in theory. And if Osmond has it, you roll with it for a little bit, but obviously keep the leash maybe a little shorter because if he gets ripped apart defensively, like he did against Malcolm Brogdon the other night, you look elsewhere. And I think yeah. if you just kind of find these options where when you are looking elsewhere, whether that is Dean Wade, Danny Green, um, maybe Ricky Rubio, if Rubio just is like your other option too, like you need to just kind of find what you have. And I'm not saying squat, squeezing blood from the stone, but at least just try to find something. So you're not absolutely gassing your guys down the stretch or in a playoff series. So you can get to the second round and maybe even sneak into the Eastern finals, depending on who you draw in the second round. Oh my goodness. I, you're taking my role as the optimist way to go, Evan. <laughs> I, well, I'm, I'm not I, all I the th- way there I th- yet. 
I'm not all the way there yet, but I am also cognizant of the fact that like coaches don't show their full hands in the regular season. Yep. And JB has shown some playoff moves at times, like putting Evan Mobley on Jimmy Butler. And like, I want to see some of the, and like JB's done some weird stuff already. Like he played Larry Nance, Andre Drummond and um, Kevin love together at times. Like yeah. I want to see what other like funky, weird stuff JB can do with the backing of a playoff series and maybe just kind of maximize the opportunities for this team, because there are some intriguing ish ways to kind of go about this come playoff time. Yeah, I, I don't think it gets talked about enough, but I think what we're going to learn over the, these next couple of years is not only how the players adjust to the playoffs, but JB as well, right? Like, yeah, everyone acts like coaches are static commodities when, when reality is, right? Like, coaches have good and bad games. They have good and bad years. They, you learn from uh, your playoff series. You you learn from your opportunities. Like, even, like, you, you look at Nick Nurse. It's funny to, to look at it now, but... Um, when he took over for Dwayne Casey, like that second round series against Philadelphia, people were, were calling for his job. It was, oh my God, oh, like yeah. people, the analysis of coaches is so bad, but it's, it was, oh, like whoever doesn't lose them this series. Right. And, uh, even Ime Odoka, right. Cause Boston had a yeah. lot of struggles in the playoffs. They had a lot of issues there. And then all of a sudden you make it to the finals and then the narrative changes, right? Like we always work backwards. So. I, I oh, yeah. how JB learns from this experience, I, I think is going to be really interesting and I'm looking forward to it. Um, but it, it, de it definitely is funny. I, I think my hope is that the Cavs are, are more patient than the discourse because the discourse just gets out of hand sometimes, but, uh, history would show if, if the Cavs, uh, polled Cavs Twitter, uh, for, for every single move, I think we'd end up with Jalen Suggs right now. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be Jalen Suggs. It yeah. would be um, Cam Reddish would be a popular one, too. Like, yeah. There's just like a lot of Jalen Suggs because he throws a football and had leadership, right? <laughs> Whatever. It's just <laughs> I'm glad the Cavs are patient with the results. I think this front office, the best way to describe them is one, they operate in the shadows. Like I don't think a lot of people know what they are going to do next or what they have planned in terms of just personnel moves, but they are patient and pragmatic. Like when they, when John Bayline stepped down, JB Bickerstaff wasn't named the interim head coach. He was just named the head coach. And then they signed him to an extension because they believe in him growing as one of the youngest coaches in the NBA and learning and figuring this out. And then they have an incredibly young team who is learning how to win at the next level. And they're finally starting to know how to do it. Now they're needing to learn how to win, how to win rather when the pressure is at its highest. And that's in these late game situations sometimes, or even in the playoffs. And you see, moments of growth but it's not like a linear path it's very dynamic it's not static whatsoever and it's exciting and i'm excited too like i think it's gonna be fun to have the Cavs back in the playoffs it's been a half decade at this point since they've been there so i think it's it's time to have them back yeah it's honestly i i think i think this is like the most invested i've been in the Cavs in a very long time like even the the lebron team it was I don't know if yeah. it's just the the pressure or the expectations or whatever the case may be, or just that this team has felt more or organic, right? Like you've really seen like the, this coaching staff, these players all kind of grow together. Um, it's it's gotten me it's gotten me stressed in a lot of these games, right? Like I I, I used to be able to to sit back and almost Chris Manning like uh, just take it all in without the pressure of fandom there, but like I, I'm just so invested in this group and. Uh, like you said, JB is one of the youngest coaches. I I honestly forgot about that until he he shaved his beard. That the yeah <laughs> that, that reminded me immediately. 
then he grew it back because his kids made fun of him for shaving so well you know i i, I can sympathize with him there I, I think if i uh if i shaved what pathetic beard i have uh, i think the youtube comments would, would absolutely wreck me so uh, i <laughs> I, I, yeah. I sympathize with them there and <laughs> we'll we'll see what the injury report has for the Cavs. Yeah. I, i'm 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 nervous um charlotte is peaking at the wrong time uh for both the Cavs and, and probably for their lottery odds as well so uh we'll, we'll we'll see what ends up happening there i, I do see that the line has the Cavs as heavy favorites so Hopefully Vegas knows something that we don't, uh, but but we'll see how that goes with, with these two games. Evan, thank you so much for coming on yeah, again. Listeners, make sure that you guys are subscribing Locked on Cavs as well as supporting Right Down Euclid. Uh, do you have anything that you'd like to plug before I wrap this thing up, Evan? Oh, no, yes. Just check out Right Down Euclid. I post on there. It's fully independent, fully organic, uh, about one to two to three times a week. We have a newsletter as well. We're just trying to do big things over there and just kind of change the scope of Cleveland sports coverage and more of an indie avenue. But yeah, check out Locked on Cavs as well. Uh, we do that five days a week and we're getting pretty geared up for the playoff run ourselves. So yeah, no, but thank you for having me anytime, man. Like ugh, always happy to do a home and home and just have you over whenever. I, we will, I, yeah, I, I guess we are going to be doing a, a, a second leg to this too. Maybe we'll, we'll have more of our core together, just like we're hoping the Cavs have more of their core together. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's always a lot Actually, of fun. I have, I have a question of that. Who is the Darius Garland and who is the Jared Allen in this scenario? Oh man, I'm, I'm the Darius. You, you know that I'm the no, playmaker. No, I'm saying for the, for the, for the out, the guys that are out right now. Oh yeah. You know, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, Cause Carter doesn't have good playmaking at all. Um, <laughs> Chris has the fundamentals down, so maybe he's Jared Allen. But yeah, I, I guess, I guess maybe that's probably the way maybe we it's go. The, it's the comic book nerd aspect for Chris and Jared that we can kind of draw a through line with. Yeah, there, there, there you Car go. That, now we got it figured out. <laughs> Car the Cavs have footage of Carter suiting up. I bet you he can handle the rock a little bit. <laughs> I think you haven't watched that footage well. You got to go back and review the tape. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, big thanks to you, man. Uh, we will be back. Uh, Carter will be back, in, in fact, uh, Monday night. Uh, and then we'll also be going Wednesday post-game after the Sixers game. So hopefully we uh, have some fun Cavs wins to talk about then. Big thanks again to Evan. Big thanks to everyone tuning in live on YouTube. Uh, if you want to support us, make sure you're subscribing. Click the notification bell so you know when we're going live. Clicking like as well. That helps the old YouTube al algorithms. If you want to support us the traditional way and you're listening via podcast, leave us a rating, a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, go Cavs!